do have a clip. We'll put that for a clip. It's just cadals. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Witty Banter, episode number 160. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Williams, and I'm joined by my best friend since fifth grade, Hunter Dorset. True. True that. It's been a, How's it going, man? Pretty good, man. It's been a... Isn't that wild? It's been a bit? Fifth grade? A little, little bit. I've been thinking about that <laughs> lately and how, like, I felt like I was very pushy trying to meet people when I was younger. <laughs> like, I was coercing them. You were an only them. child, man. You had to... You got to freaking push your weight around. Yeah. Like, I was coercing people to basically come to my house and make me not bored, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hey man, you do what you gotta do in order to kind of, you know, get in, get some FaceTime, you know, get get some um, activity going that's not just your own. Cause so I respect that because a lot of times I'm a have a little bit of a homebodiness. Yeah. So uh, having somebody be a go getter, it kind of uh, matches well. well. Yeah, I've been thinking about childhood a lot recently because I've been thinking about the idea of like nature and nurture, that whole conversation. And I'm really seeing mm-hmm. like inroads of my own personality go f- like really far back into my memory. Like <laughs> I was even thinking about this, another memory with you and I, uh, you remember how we were going to go to an incubus concert and that was going to be your first show. I believe yeah. there yeah. was something that happened and we didn't end up going. And yeah, I don't remember what the thing was, but what I remember distinctly is the sense of relief that I didn't have to like kind of go to this really big event and be in like a crowd or something like that. And that is totally still a part of my character where oftentimes I make plans with people and the second I made the plans, I'm like, God, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I don't want to have to go do this shit. (laughs) Hey, I honestly think that a lot of people share that sentiment. Surely. Um, it's, it's, for me, it's usually one of those things where, like, unless it's just a bad atmosphere and shitty people around, I usually, in, like, appreciate and am glad that I went ahead and did it. But, yeah, I always have that remorse, too, man. Like, like and that's why I think it was always really hard for me to, like, get convinced to do anything. Because yeah. I always knew that I was going to feel that way every time I committed to doing something. But, no, I totally feel you. Well, hey, um, Witty Banter is a show that reviews alcoholic beverages. Hunter, you've got a beer today that is a little bit in your cup and I think a little bit on the floor now. What are you drinking? <laughs> yeah, it smells nice and hoppy in my apartment now. <laughs> Did you spill a whole uh, bottle? Yeah, the, well, I spilled the entire glass. Oh, yeah, it was shit. Brutal. But anyways, that makes me all the more excited to get it in my gullet of and off the floor. Um, so I'm going, I'm kind of doubling up on the New Belgium. We were talking about how the Ranger IPA was one that we would use to regularly drink, and it was really good. It was just like the solid go-to bang-for-your-buck IPA. Yeah. And they have another Ranger IPA, except for this one is also kind of an inside joke for us. It's the Voodoo, Voodoo. Ranger. <laughs> the Voodoo Ranger. Speaking about childhood, man. Yeah, and so it's 7% alcohol by volume. It's got like a park ranger skeleton on the front of it with kind of like an Indian uh, attire on, from the neck down kind of interesting but uh but yeah it's it definitely smells hoppy because it's on my floor and on my walls 
I at least got that going. You, the but, smell uh, is I there. Get to take a yeah. sip. Oh yeah. What about you, man? Are you going to do an alcoholic beverage? Yeah. So I have another tequila. Um, since I mm. did tequila last week, I'm going to stick with tequila until I've tried all the ones that we have, because that gin was the only gin that we had, which is why I only did that once. Yeah. Um, and this is another tequila from Dulce Vita, which is the same brand that I had the last one. And the last one was a Blanco, which we talked about isn't aged at all. Uh, and this one is an Añejo, which is one of the final mm-hmm. tiers. It's aged between like three to five years. Um, in oak, it's that good shit. Yeah, oak casks. It's a hundred proof, so this one's strong as well. So theoretically, this should be like the leveled up version of what I had last week. (laughs) Yeah, the Super Saiyan tequila. But dude, like anytime I smell tequila, like it's it's hard for me to get my body in the water with tequila. You know, like (laughs) the the first few sips, you know, admittedly are kind of harsh for me. Like they're not something that like I can get acclimated to other spirits much quicker after like the first sip or even during the first sip. Every time mm-hmm. I drink tequila, um, especially these last two times drinking it uh, almost straight, there's really a bit of a, a good bit of wince there that you kind of have to get through. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe you have to water it down a little more, do what you got to do. But no, I'm excited that uh, it sounds like I'm glad that you're getting like the next step up of like a heavier and probably nicer version of tequila. Cause I'm interested to hear if that's something that you'll end up liking more or not. Yeah. Because opinion. there's, you know, so where tequila is made dictates what it can be called. So tequila is only tequila because it's made in tequila, Mexico. And then there's mezcal, which is made in a certain region of Mexico. And then there's a few other names for the spirit and it's all just, um, it's all made from agave. It's basically the same process. Mm-hmm. But with mezcal, what I've found is that it's super smoky because it's made from uh, agave plants that are like in low lying areas and have just, there's like a lot of earthiness to it. And like yeah. that shit is tough to drink, dude. It is harsh. And <laughs> I usually like smokiness in scotch, but there's something about it in particular with the spirit of, of uh, tequila that like makes it really difficult. And so, that's all to say that I think the world of tequila is actually like much larger than what you and I, and I think most people are exposed to. I think people that kind of drink the spirit on a, you know, that's their kind of go to. And it's probably people who live in Mexico who have access to more, um, varieties out there. I just, I picture it as something that has like a ton of depth that we're really just scratching the surface on, you know? Well, hey, scratch away for me, Chase. Yeah, keep on itching, baby. I'm a sniff. <laughs> scratch too. and sniff, yeah, baby. Uh, all right. Well, before we get into the main show, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some music I've been listening to and my musical experiences this year. Since we're a little, you know, we're over halfway through the year now, mm-hmm. and I'm always, I'm the kind of person who listens to. When I when I have to find music that I get very into and I stick with it for a long time yeah. until it's sort of worn out its welcome and then I go back to like a regular rotation of things until I find something new. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really found something new lately. Um, like no new obsessions really. Like my last obsession was The Smiths and that was at the start of last year, right? Yeah. But this year I've been listening to just a ton of jazz. Uh, 
Nice. And there's not like any one particular artist or any style that I'm drawn to. It's just I've had jazz on in my car like almost every day this year. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was, it's been great, yeah. man. And I, I was looking through, um, the, and, and so I was looking at Third Man Records, which is the label that Jack White owns, and they press like a ton of vinyl and stuff like that. Mm. And I found this album that was a collection of songs from the 1920s to the 1930s by this Greek clarinetist, okay? Hmm. And when I read it, I was like, this is some hipster bullshit <laughs> that Jack White is using to sell collector collector records. Yeah. Because that's usually how I, I view his like business ventures, mm-hmm. or at least with his, his records. Like I own one of his like limited pressings of Get Behind Me Satan from the White Stripes. And at the time, I was really stoked to get it. Now, when I look back at it, I'm like, man, I really overpaid for this. Hmm. Um, it's it's something that like is nice to look at, but I would rather just have something that was actually easier to play on my record yeah. player and things like that. Hmm. And so, going into this uh, this album, I was like, I don't, I don't really, I'm gonna check it out because it sounds interesting, dude. This fa- album blew my mind. <laughs> a and Greek again, clarinetist. A Greek clarinetist so i'm gonna lay out what's kind of going on here right okay lay it out 1920s to 1930s is the collection of these recorded songs and it's essentially greek folk music Mm -hmm. in the sense that like the background arrangement is just like a few guitars or like banjos that they're just barely kind of plunking away on just like the most basic sort of background music you can think of and you know there's like an uplifting kind of like rhythm to it uh, and it just sounds like music that people would play in a community center if they got together and they wanted to play music, right? Yeah. The second the clarinet comes in, it sounds like a guitar solo would on like a heavy metal record from the 80s. <laughs> it yeah. is so fast. And oh, the scales, fast. dude, he rips. <laughs> and he does like tr- he does like trellos and like or uh, trills. And all kinds of shit. And when I'm I'm sitting there listening to this, I'm like, dude, this this is guitar music, you know. And it's it's jazz because you know it, it is that blues vibe. He's playing jazz scales, mm-hmm. um, but I've never heard the clarinet played like this. And and dude, there is like a chilling hauntingness to it, like because it has that feel of like a metal guitar uh, just arrangement. And the way that the recording sounds, the way that the clarinet sounds, sometimes you'll hear voices in the background of the recording. They'll just say like four words hmm. and you can barely, and it's in Greek and you can barely make it out. It sounds like devil worship music, dude. <laughs> and, and Devil worship pro- jazz. <laughs> yes. And I've probably listened to it like five or six times in the last week. That's awesome, dude. That sounds sick. So what, what like, is this guy's name? You got to give me at least the name. Yeah, and I and I want to give it so that our audience can check it out because I I recommend it. But the guy's name is Kitsos Harisiatis, and that's K I T S O S H A R I S I A D I S. Okay. And the album title is Lament in a Deep Style, nineteen twenty nine through nineteen thirty one. Damn. So um, so it really was a long time ago and he's just shredding that's crazy and it blows and that's what blows my mind is like it sounds contemporary huh you know like this guy 
it, it really does sound like if, if we went into some, some sort of sophisticated program and told a computer to play like this run of notes and it just would spit out something that sounded like this, mm-hmm. it sounds like modern metal music to me. <laughs> did, you know? did you do any uh, background check on this guy? Is he like a well-known dude in the, in the jazz circles? See, that's what I want to I want to look up because I also want to know is like, is this guy from Greece and like jazz just got to him and this is how he interpreted it? Or is he a Greek guy in America who was playing jazz on top of like the folk music that he grew up with? You know? Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. That's uh, that's pretty dope. I, yeah, I it's I've, always I've, fun to like find your new your new little thing that you're tapping into, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can just, it's great background music because it sort of has that, it's just instrumental, but you just catch yourself like literally drawn in and engaged by this guy's work on the, on the clarinet. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a, a, a hipster kind of douchebag thing to, to like be like, yeah, I'm super into this, but I'm telling you guys, like, you should check it out, you know? <laughs> it's not hipster want- douchebag to be into jazz and clarinets. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, dude. I agree. But it's a tough sell, I think, on people who are outside of that. Yeah, well, fuck them. They're not listening. That's true. And I don't know if you also saw the uh, the Gorillas put out a new album. I did. I saw that they had some sort of video with Jack Black in it. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, like they had a music video where, like, you know, the main guy is, like, skating down what looks like Santa Monica. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. Jack Black's just, like, sitting on a bench and, like, playing guitar like Tenacious D. Uh, I got to see that. So yeah, that's they did pretty a cool. Collab. Yeah, I'm always excited when they put out new music because there's something with them where like their sound is so iconic, and it was it was the road for me to discover like a whole new side of music I never knew even existed when I was in like fifth grade. Really? And I think a yeah, and I think a lot of people actually share that experience because they were featured on Toonami when they had this sort of like musical night one day. Yeah. Um. But I can never really get through a full album of theirs hmm. and enjoy the whole thing through. Hmm. And when I was listening to this latest record, I honestly, and like, I know their lead singer is highly respected. He's a fantastic musician. Like, he's been putting out material under even different bands for his entire career. Mm-hmm. But when he was singing, like, and he's kind of got that, like, laid back laziness to his voice. Yep. That's kind of like how people chill and engage with him. But there were multiple times in the album where I was like, you know that. Tom York kind of already did this and did it better. You know, like <laughs> it was the first time in a while. I was like, this guy sure, just kind of sounds like, a, yeah, like, this guy just sounds like a knockoff Tom York right now. Doesn't everybody? I think so. I think we all hope to, to be that at some point. Yeah. I, I haven't really, um, you know, it sucks because I haven't ever been the type of person that has done a good job at proactively seeking out new music it's usually my yeah. friends coercing me into being like you have to fucking listen to this and then i'll usually yeah. listen to it and like it um but so like recently i um i went to austin this last weekend and when i got in um i met up with blake and his buddies who were watching a live stream of bella fleck which is this combination of these three dudes, um, Victor Wooten, the bassist, who's like arguably one of the greatest bassists on earth of all time ever. And then you have this guy who is like the Victor Wooten uh, or the Getty Lee of like banjo. And so this guy is like the front dude and he kind of has like what would be the guitar solos and guitar rhythm stuff. 
yeah. then you have this other old guy who is like um, on piano and harmonica. And so it was pretty cool. I mean, um, I, I was digging it because there was just some shit that I was like, oh my God, these guys are so fucking talented, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, like this guy was probably the best harmonica player I've ever seen. Like just shredding it, dude. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen anybody just like set on fire a, harmon- a right. harmonica like this. You know, <laughs> like yeah, Blues Traveler is cool, you know? You're like, oh, Blues Traveler, like that guy's really good at harmonica solos. But like this guy did it on top of like crazy jazz uh, time signatures and just incredible chord progressions. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, but, but that being said, like, I don't know if I'm going to listen to all their shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You're not going to go into this like rabbit hole. Yeah. Right? And that's what it's hard to find that it's hard to find uh, music that does that to you where you're like so engrossed to the point where you can't get it out of your head. You're memorizing everything. Mm-hmm. You hear, you listen to a single song 15 times you know, I think you just have to you have, have like one or two songs that really just like set off something in you that you're like, oh, I want to get more of that. And like you keep finding little bits of it in different songs that that artist puts out or whatever. But well, yeah, do you have Spotify? I don't. I don't have Spotify. I don't have Apple Music. I literally just listen to the radio. I used to have Sirius XM, so I would always uh, cruise to jazz as well. Yeah. Now I don't have that anymore. I mean, I gotta, I gotta recommend Spotify. Like years ago, when I first tried it, I didn't like it because I didn't like the interface and just how one navigates through it. Mm-hmm. Now I truly believe that it is like a service that enriches my life. Nice. Like it makes access to music so easy and music discovery so easy because every artist has a related artist tab, hmm. and it gives you like fifteen other artists that people who listen to that one band listen to Hmm. and I've gone through like days where for hours I've sat there just kind of going down the internet rabbit hole of related artists and like you find you will find music that you end up liking that you've never heard before yeah Um, and that's such a new thing for me and also like you can share uh, stuff on Spotify like super easily like every song album artist whatever will have a link that you can give to somebody else and that'll pull up their page or whatever yeah um yeah, I mean, I I honestly recommend checking it out because you and I could could basically go back and forth on on sharing stuff, and it, it it they do a great job at using algorithms to serve you stuff that they think you're gonna like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I have a buddy who's um, plays a lot of music. He does video and music production work, um, and he's like kind of getting the rounds in with like you know people who are like managing pretty nice or pretty you know well profiled bands. And I sat down with him probably within the last uh, six months or so. And he was telling me that he was like, I'm pretty sure that Spotify is going to be like the Uber or Lyft or whatever of, of music because it's like this thing mm-hmm. where right now he's like, like right now it's, it is that way for people to be able to consume a lot of new music and stuff. But his point of view is that like the fact that there are some people who make playlists and those playlists have like an incredible, like these people are almost like the gatekeepers. Like if you get on this person's playlist, like you will go from a zero band to a having kick-ass shows band because you're on this one fucking playlist. And I was like, that's crazy. Like it makes sense. 
You know, it's like, and, and he was like, you know, the way instead of using stuff like Facebook likes and shit as a metric for like whether or not you're popular and relevant, like you'll have um, like monthly listens on your Spotify exactly. that'll show, that'll prove that you're relevant, you know? And yeah, and I was like, that totally makes sense. And that's wild. But yeah, maybe I'll have to get into it, man. Let you share some yeah, stuff with I, me. I think it's a no brainer to, to at least give it a shot uh, for a trial. But anyway, that was a long intro. We still have a little bit of news to get to. So this is Woody Banter. All right, Hunter, I think you got a little something for us. I do. Um, so basically, the thing that I was bringing was that there is a new law around banning plastic straws that oh, has yeah. been passed in Seattle. Have you heard about that? No, but I've heard a lot of new, almost like activism or awareness around plastic straws. Yeah. And so this is an article from the New York Post. And the title is, Banning Plastic Straws is More Scam Than Science. Um, and it basically says, you know, Seattle just became the first U.S. city to impose the trendy ban on no plastic straws as a way to save the environment. And New York may be soon to follow. But they're basically just pointing out that the, f- the fact that you're doing this, it's not really having a, a, a meaningful impact on the amount of plastics that we consume as a society and there's this one figure that like it's cited all the time about like 500 million plastic straws are used a day by Americans. But they said that that survey was conducted by a nine year old. Um, (laughs) So um, it it, it made me just think about the fact and, and later on in the article, what they're really saying is that this is sort of a straw man and saying, like, <laughs> I didn't even... Hey, check that out. Yeah, you were, you you walked right into that, Hunter. It is That's a, some witty banter. Uh, yeah, that is witty banter. So, yeah, it's basically a, a way of saying, like, yeah, this isn't going to fix the problem in any meaningful way, but it shows progress, and we're pointing to something, and we're doing something about it. And so I was kind of, you know, like... Whenever you and I going harken back to, to kids, we're driving yeah. around first year in our uh, in our cars and trucks and stuff. I remember being in the uh, Woodlands parking lot, and somebody said like "Happy Earth Day" or something, and you were like "Happy yeah. Earth Day, go fuck yourself." Yeah, <laughs> and um, and I, and I think everybody was kind of like that, and now I think as global warming or you know climate change and all this stuff has become so much more of a relevant subject everybody's kind of shifted their opinions on stuff. But I I guess like, do you think that it is appropriate to put laws in place that are sort of like this? They're, they're sort of individually sort of misplaced specifically, and they don't really accomplish a whole lot in a specific sense, but they're sort of like this getting traction going to maybe make a bigger dent elsewhere and show support around people who really care about these sort of things. I guess it's just a, a thing where I'm like, I can't really tell if I think it's good to pass a stupid law for a good purpose or not. <laughs> yeah. I immediately feel like I err on the side of it's not 
constructive if it's not doing anything meaningful. Like when we talk about banning plastic straws, what we're talking about is regulating. It's, I mean, that's a regulation, right? Yeah. It's, it's sort of a, a curb on behavior that we want to be, in this case, illegal in order to have like benefit to the population or the earth. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's countless examples of regulations that are necessary and should be there. And then there's countless examples of ones that are superfluous and annoying. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And with something that is maybe more symbolic, I do find it a little more annoying because I do think we live, we are in a particular time where people are more interested in posturing their views mm. than they are about actually fixing things. Yeah. And it's like, if you want to seriously combat the use of plastics because plastics are made from, you know, oil and natural resources and we want to get away from the, you know, whatever the reason is, mm. then instead of trying to symbolically show that we're want to get, we want to get there, put your head down and do the extremely difficult work. Mm. In this case, talking about work that you would literally need a new technology that replaced plastic, which in my opinion, that technology would change the course of civilization. So we're not talking <laughs> about anything that's yeah. that's small in stature here. Yeah. But that is where the conversation needs to go, you know? Yeah. And there's always also the question of whether or not it's going, you know, something that large is going to be solved by a a bureaucrat in a state government, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and the the thing I think that points out at me is I actually don't have a huge problem with it solely on the basis of saying, like, look, plastics are bad. This is a type of plastic. We want to show that this matters to us. Let's do this, right? Like, I don't really have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is that that can easily be twisted by people who are, you know, have different political interests or whatever and say, like, oh, you remember that straw ban? You remember how fucking stupid that was? You know, or like, or they could say like, you know, that it's, yeah, it's some trendy, you know, modern BS that doesn't really fix anything. And it's like, that's kind of true, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, totally. (laughs) So yeah, I, I guess it's just this thing where like, I find myself wanting to reduce my footprint, my environmental footprint, um, and I think that there are a lot of different ways to do it. Um, and I think legislation has its role in it. But I'm, almo- I'm almost wondering if it's, if it's something that is going to be more driven by people as opposed to by legislation. Because I, I think if you're going to try and chip away at every type of plastic like this or every type of... And, and what people were even like in the article was basically saying is like, there's always a different way to look at it where it's like if we use paper straws instead of plastic straws then we're using twice as much paper and the amount of paper that we have to create in order to be able to do that is also killing trees and putting (laughs) shit into the environment as well and it's like yeah that's sure that sucks so right (laughs) i don't know i just thought it was kind of funny because um basically i don't have super drawn out opinions about how to go about trying to like help the environment but um, this looks like a, a flag in the sand 
kind of thing where they're saying, listen to us, we're going to make moves and stuff in some of the more, you know, uh, left, left leaning kind of uh, cities and stuff. But I don't really think that it's something that is, should be taken super seriously. <laughs> you know? And you also have to le- like legitimately think of the administrative costs of enforcing something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like <laughs> getting like paying people for their time to write that law, to take that law to businesses and corporations and asking them to change their behavior, enforcing that behavior, uh, taking people to jail or through courts for fines for violating that behavior, which takes more people's time, which is their, which is more money. And then also the time of the people that have to, the time and the money of the people who would have to change their ways because of the new law like it has a tremendous effect you know it's not it's not just that like this thing gets passed and we get to kind of just forget about it now and feel good about ourselves like even something that small like there's a big ripple of 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 opportunity cost essentially that is associated with it if with even something as small sounding as that and it's just like is that where you want to be spending that time and money yeah you know and, and you kind of that the thing and you kind of wonder it, it, it even you can think about it even from an economic standpoint right like there's probably more than one straw manufacturer in the world right so it's not like one company is being hit but maybe everyone that has straws that are plastic is now like oh fuck maybe america's gonna go on this weird tirade against straws for the next you know decade or whatever and like our entire industry's fucked or if they start just looking at everything that is kind of like a one-time plastic use like solo cups and paper plates and all that kind of shit like that might start being the next dominoes to fall and if right. they're just straight up saying like, oh, well, like this portion of the economy doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> you're like, oh, yes. okay, <laughs> that's kind of fucked up. So I don't know. It's just, I agree with you, man. The the administrative and legislative costs to being able to actually implement that kind of stuff seems kind of silly, but I don't know. Just uh, good to hear your opinion on it. Word. Well, thanks for bringing that, man. Uh, I think we've actually been rolling at a quite a dis- decent pace through this front half. So let's go ahead and take... A quick break, and we will return in just a moment. If you want to keep up with the show after the microphones have turned off, be sure to follow us on social media by searching Witty Banter Show on Twitter and Instagram and liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Witty Banter Podcast. Want to steer the conversation or be a part of the show? Just go on down to wittybantershow.com and leave us a suggestion for a beer or a question for us to answer on the show. And if you like what we're doing and you want to support the cause, head on over to iTunes and leave a review. And feel free to share it with your friends. Let's get back to it. Uh, Hunter, you're drinking an IPA. I want to know how it is, mostly from the perspective of someone who hasn't drank IPAs in a really long time. But I'm starting to almost get nostalgic for them. Because I think like most people, IPA was my first... Uh, real foray into craft beer mm-hmm. and i i remember uh like the yeti that we had that from great divide or the hercules ipa and the uh other ipa that we had for the f- like the very first beer that we reviewed on the show and those beers that are like eight percent super hoppy they still have a place in my heart you know of course yeah and, and i've actually been finding that you know, brown and and dark and thick beers are kind of my my more favorite beers on average to go to. But when I've just been like going to a bar and stuff, like 
I've just been sticking to IPAs, man. Been kind of yeah. like taking it easy. Going back to those. those. But uh, so, yeah, this one, I forgot to read the little um, about me section on the bottle. Bursting with tropical aromas and juicy fruit flavors from Mosaic and Amarillo hops. This golden IPA is perfectly bitter with a refreshing, sublime finish. And I kind of agree. I think it, I think it, it holds itself kind of like the Ranger, just the Ranger, the New Belgium Ranger, um, which is like just like a good kind of nuggy, bitter, hoppy IPA. It's a really hoppy beer. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and the hops are definitely here, but I think it gets, it does get more of that kind of, um, I don't know about tropical, but yeah, like kind of juicy, a little bit of fruitiness. Um, and 7% alcohol by volume. I think, you know, I've definitely had 7% alcohol by volume beers that did not taste as alcoholic as this. So the alcohol, you can, mm. it's there. Um, but I don't think necessarily to its detriment. It holds itself pretty well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is golden. It's clear. It's, uh, yeah, I'm liking it. Is it, like, how uh, just chuggable is it? Like, how are you taking big kind of gulps with it? Is it something that's more of, like, sip and let it creep up on you? So I think, like, the front half of the sip, um, it, do- it doesn't come across as though it's going to be as bitter that it, as it ends up actually being. So I think a lot of that juiciness, bitterness, hoppiness hits itself on the side and back of your mouth as it's kind of getting washed down. Um, so you probably could chug it for like two or three sips, and then you're like, yeah. oh, wait, hold on. Um, <laughs> Recollect. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'd say. Nice. All right. Uh, the tequila that I'm drinking is, ex- is kind of exactly what I expected, and I think that's a good thing. Like, I, think it, I think it's executing on what it should be. Um, when I described the tequila last week, I talked about how it was a sort of like kind of warm and harsh spirit that had like this aftertaste of like this honey sweetness that was very smooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, and it's really, in, and that, that's sort of like the most enjoyable characteristic of tequila that I've, I'm picking up on is just that, that drop of agave that sort of seems to be in the middle of it. That's here too. This is a sweet, um, you know, the spirit is sweet and it's got a vanilla characteristic that Mm. comes from that, the cask aging. And that vanilla is something that, uh, Darian was telling me I should expect, um, cause it's going to mellow out with the flavors of the wood and it's definitely there. So that vanilla makes it, it really milds it out and it comes through mostly in like the end of the the flavor profile and sort of the aftertaste of it. Mm. Um, and it's not as hot and, uh, not as hot or as just harsh as the last one was, even though the last one like wasn't so harsh that like I didn't like it, but this one does have that blunted edge. Um, and that's, and that's more, and so, so yeah, it's delivering on how I would expect the sort of the feel of the, the spirit to change with, with age, you know? Yeah. And I was going to ask, I mean. So you said that not only is it an añejo, which means it's being held for longer, right? But it's also higher alcohol content than probably the last one you had. And my understanding, or at least like what, uh, you know, my 
easily categorized understanding uh, is that, you know, as it gets older or held longer, that makes it a little mellower and maybe takes the sting off of the, uh, the alcohol itself. But when you yeah. have more alcohol, I mean, how does it compare in the, in the booziness compared to the last one? You know, it still has the bite. Like there, like I said, the first couple of sips, you know, I had to really like kind of grit through because your the mouth just isn't ready to, to be drinking hard alcohol like that. So it still has a backbone that's strong, but I think maybe what's also characteristic of the tequila I've drinking so far is that it's just a very bold spirit. Like that sweetness that is there that I'm talking about isn't just like in the background, like it's a major characteristic hmm. of the alcohol and, and kind of like how we talked about how some whiskeys that I drink were these rich play of a lot of flavors. And then there's other ones that were like just a couple flavors, but big, that's sort of how I feel like tequila has been for me. And especially the two that I've tried. Mm. Uh, and, and there is like a very bright floral characteristic to the, to the spirit. It's not like citrusy or like fruity, but it's like uh, it's like a bright flower, hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, in in that kind of deal. Awesome. Well, it sounds good. Yeah. No, I I'm digging it, man. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's move into our next segment. We're going to do kind of, I guess, what is going to be like a little bit of a, a of a review discussion. Uh, this will be the third episode now that we've talked about the anime Megalo Box because when it first came out, Max had seen it and was just super enthused to share it with all of us because of the, honestly, one of like the strongest opening episodes to a TV show I think I've ever seen in the past few years and because of its uh, distinct sort of art direction and yep. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time we talked about it, I think we were, I was starting to get a little mellow on it. Yeah. And I think you guys were maybe there with me, but also kind of have a higher threshold for, maybe like a benefit of a doubt kind of deal because hmm. it sounded to me like a lot of the complaints I had were kind of par for the genre of animation that we're talking about. Yeah. And so here we are. Uh, the entire season is now complete. Season one. You've seen the entire thing. I've seen everything up until the final episode. We're going to kind of talk about what our final closing thoughts are on this season uh, in a way that's as spoiler free as possible. And that's how I'm going to frame the discussion. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Cool. Um, I feel like the character of this anime was just one of like highs and lows. One that was a very mixed experience for me in the sense that it wasn't just mediocre or bland. There were just times where I was like, God, this is bad. And then other times where I was like, that was actually pretty good. And those two things where I felt like happening simultaneously in every episode, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So what were kind of your just your general impressions now that you've been through it? You know, how, how does it rank for you? Yeah, I will say that um, my level of interest dropped off about, you know, six or seven, maybe seven or eight episodes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought what I was expecting was, you know, that they were going to have this interesting way of going about kind of having this guy make his way to the top and get into this tournament of the basically the best four fighters in the world. And, right. you know, I, I thought that the journey getting there was pretty good. And I thought that there was some stuff that like kind of, I, I lost my interest, I guess specifically like 
Um, I think they focused on the trainer kind of a, a lot, and I wasn't. I didn't really end up being super caring about him that much. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll just add quickly there because that's that's yeah. sort of something that I I I picked up on as well as like I did not like the trainer as a character in the sense that like, I just thought he was a bad dude <laughs> and there is some, there is some sort of success they have to at least making me feel that way about him. Right. Yeah. Right. Of course. But I do feel like they, they spent too much time with him. Ultimately they do sort of redeem him mm-hmm. as a character. And I thought the way that he redeems himself was really compelling and pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But I almost wish that could have like, maybe come sooner because I was almost just uh, exhausted by his constant injection of like making me feel like, fuck this guy. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it was, it was just tiresome. Like it would have been nice if it was just at the beginning of the show where you were fully convinced that this was a fuck this guy kind of character, but then he stayed himself, but still you were endeared by him at the end and right. they kind of accomplish that and kind of don't, you know, like yeah. by the end of it, it's kind of like, well, he's still kind of a shithead, but I mean, you know, whatever. And, and the parameters of how he was a shithead, like never changed. And that was the other thing. It was like the situation with which he kind of came back one last time as a shithead was the same exact <laughs> way that he was a shithead in the first time. <laughs> yeah. And that lack of variety just makes it boring. Right. Well, yeah. And it just shows that there's not that there's not much progression in that, you know, yeah. character or whatever, which you would hope to find given that he's on the team of the guy that you're supposed to be rooting he's, for. Yeah, he's right? a main protagonist. Yeah. Um, I thought that when it, when it comes down to it, the things that kept us in it was the relationship between Yuri and Joe. Um, yes. that Yuri was this interesting guy who had like reached the mountaintop and that this sort of, uh, what they constantly kind of refer to a stray dog comes and barks at him and it gets under his skin and they just can't get over it until they meet back in the ring again. And that's cool, right? right. Like that's a cool premise. Um, but even that, like, so there's a part in one of the episodes, probably like episode nine or 10 where, um, you know, Yuri and Joe have never really had any sort of like, uh, I guess like uh, platonic interactions. And then he just like goes outside and starts talking to Joe and like their buds kind of. And I was yeah. like, that's kind of cool. You know, like, like they have this burning desire to fight each other and like maybe even kill each other if it, if need be. But mm-hmm they clearly have this respect for each other that is now grounded. Like they're, yeah, that desire is almost eyes. right. The desire is almost more of a bond than it is some sort of like uh, feud. You right. Know? Yeah. Which I thought was cool. The thing, I think the thing that really bummed me out about the show was when, when Joe finally gets into Megalonia, I'm hoping I'm not spoiling it for you guys, guys, Joe gets into Megalonia. Yeah. Okay. Guess what? Um, Listen to this. <laughs> He gets into Megalonia, and I thought that they were going to really spend some time developing these other guys that were in Megalonia. And I was like, you know, you have this cool opportunity to really make like four kick-ass dudes that are going to fight each other and have these really like, maybe they'll have like a lot of interesting interactions and there will be some like cool mind games going on or something. Maybe they'll have like secret gimmicks that are like really hard to overcome. But it was really just none of that was there. Like... Yuri yeah. just destroys this person. Like, it's not even a contest. 
And it's just like, I don't know. I, I, I just really thought that they were going to have a lot more depth and granularity to like what was actually being told about these characters instead of just like the story progressing and being like, oh, this guy wins and this guy wins and then they get here. You know? Right. Yeah, no, I, I kind of want to just piggyback off of that because I, I feel kind of connected to what you're saying. In it would have been nice to have those those sort of villain type characters more fleshed out because with the genre of, of storytelling of anime, like that's sort of what you come to expect is you want to learn about the villains, what their powers are and how they're going to, they're going to fight. And I really did feel like, you know, they did this with one or two characters that he fights in the ring. Right. Uh, one of them I thought was just like, I, I didn't land for me. Uh, and we talked about that in the last time that we talked about Megalobox. Mm-hmm. And then the second guy, that ace character, I thought it was somewhat interesting. Yeah. Like I thought it was going to be four more of those, you know, kind of like right. that. And the thing is, is like you don't get that. Um, and they even set it up like, you know, everybody has their own gear and their own style, but they didn't really spend any time about talking about different people's gears or styles and their gear and style didn't didn't factor into the plot at all. So it was kind of like a mute, a moot point. And where they didn't spend time characterizing those villains, they spent more time more time characterizing some of the periphery characters in the show, and that's okay. Um, but the way that they went about it, I just thought was extremely unsatisfying. And the reason why I say that is, whenever they decided to illuminate the background or the motivations of different characters, it always felt like they were doing it at random. And that's because the transitions by which they moved from like the present story to like the background characterization, usually through flashbacks, I felt was always so abrupt that they could really happen at any time without any rhyme or reason. Hmm. And the backstories that they gave the characters, um, you know, they're fine in theory in the sense that like if you were reading this information on Wikipedia, you would just be thinking, oh, okay, well, this is what that character is about. But when you're experiencing it through the show, there's no sort of foreshadowing or there's no sort of information given to the uh, to the viewer that allows them to, one, see that characterization coming, two, speculate on their own or make predictions. And without that speculation in, the, in those predictions, you have nothing against which to measure the information that they give you so when they do give it to you, it's more of just like kind of an exposition dump. And <laughs> in those exposition dumps, I was just bored because that's exactly what it was to me. Like when I was watching the final episodes, it was really a challenge for me to stay focused Yeah, because I felt like I was really just kind of watching to see what was going to happen. And I wasn't at all in the experience, you right. know? Yeah. And even like, you know, I, I thought it was cool that, you know, you had a, like a group of kids that are a part of the team, but they spent way too much time on Sachio. Like, right. Like they, like they, they had a lot of time given to that kid and nothing really came of that, you know, and nothing at all. Um, and in fact, it's, it's what they did do with that. I just thought like, it's just weird. And like, you can literally remove it from the story and nothing would change. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's really bad. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. You yeah. Don't and want that. I, and I, I, I don't know if it's because I have certain expectations based off my, past watchings of anime and what I would expect to be emphasized and like where the coolness came and like the things that made me stick around. But yeah, man, it really was like, and I've said this before. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested 
in like how care like what makes characters interesting and unique and powerful and then just like honing in on characters clashing against each other and like really making this like a character on character like cool bout but it it seemed like it was much more of like a, a storytelling as opposed to like this um this avenue to show off uh interesting gear cool characters like cool like past experiences that this character had that made him who he was and then like that's going to somehow play into his fighting style and like I don't know. I, I guess it just didn't capitalize on those things. Like, you know, what makes Vegeta Vegeta? What makes Goku Goku? Like, that didn't come in at any point uh, for these yeah. other characters, except maybe for Yuri. Um, and even that wasn't as robust as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, so I still got to watch the final episode, so I'm not sure what the reward and the payoff is there. I do think that as Yuri changed in the final episodes and we did learn more about him, I did like his character. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like kind of the more almost like gimmicky ways that they would talk. I really like when I first heard it, I thought it was stupid as hell, but I came to really enjoy the phrase, the genuine article. Oh yeah, genuine article is dope. (laughs) Yeah. And I really like how like very seriously and solemnly Yuri would be like, this guy is the real deal. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they kept saying that over and over, man. Yeah, He's the awesome. real deal. And I just thought that was kind of goofy and cool, but um, yeah, I think ultimately I, this show is is kind of mediocre at best. I think it starts incredibly strong. I think it definitely has its own unique uh, art direction in the way that the uh, anime is drawn with, with different pens that uh, portray like actual pencil drawings and stuff like that. And, and a lot of the backgrounds seemed very like uh, cyberpunk concept arts like to me where you just had like a lot of uh, stray dirty lines that kind of added to this grimy character of the city and, and all that came across well. So I don't want to, I don't want to say it was like entirely negative, but you know, it just, it, it didn't live up to what I think it set up so well in those first couple episodes, you know? Right. Yeah. It seemed like they opened a door and they just took a, a path that wasn't uh, optimal as far as like the most satisfaction that could be derived. I mean, I, I remember yeah. even in the first episode or in the first episode that we talked about Megalobox, like you talking about the setting and you were like, Oh, yeah. like, there's these cool uh, parts where you're like seeing the city from a long way away. And so that means that we're going to have these things where it bounces back and forth and you're going to learn about the city. The set, the setting was never a part of the whole fucking story. Yeah. It, it, it didn't matter at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they just, they really set themselves up to have like a cool, like that show probably could have been, if they would have done the things that we're talking about, like having more setting building and character building and, um, and focus a little less on that other stuff. It probably could have been a good bit longer um, and you could have gotten a little more satisfaction. But, but yeah, I mean, if I had to, if I had to give like a official review, I would say that it was not something that I'm going to proactively like recommend other people who pronounce that they like to watch anime. But I will mm-hmm. say that I watched it and I got some good stuff from it. Mostly that I liked how it was animated as far as the, just the sheer like drawing background drawings and, mm-hmm. um, and some of the other, like, you know, some of the character stuff I liked, some of it I didn't, but, um, I really kind of just like some of the art style more so than anything and like the setup of it. Yeah. Right on. Well, um, 
maybe I think maybe what I can do is watch that final episode and maybe we can quickly get some brief spoiler thoughts at the uh, in our next show when Max is here and, and kind of end cap it off. But Perfect. I think that's I think that's pretty indicative of of, of how you and I feel of it all of it all. So, <laughs> OK, let's um, let's let's move on. Uh, Hunter, we only have a few questions in the mailbag uh, and they're actually low. really yeah, we're running low. But uh, they're actually really good questions, some thinkers, and that's a testament to both Dunter and Dooney. So I'm going to save these for later because I want to share them uh, with you guys before answering. That way we can have some, some maybe some better discussion around them. Perfect. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and put the put the end on, on 160, and I want to hear just the final gesticulation for your beer, man. Gesticulation for the new Belgian uh, Voodoo Ranger. Uh Honestly, I mean, I think what I give this one is probably like a just a big old thumbs up, you know, like one big yeah. solid thumbs up. And I'm like looking <laughs> at this person in the eye. My eyebrows are raised a little bit. And like at first <laughs> he doesn't really acknowledge that I'm like giving him a sincere thumbs up. But yeah, I like hold maybe it. You pump it up a little yeah, bit Yeah, like more. I hold yeah. it longer to like make sure <laughs> that he sees that I'm really yeah, this getting purposeful. this across to you. Um that being said, I'm not saying it's like this, you know, cr- crazy. You're not awesome, high fiving. Yeah, it's yeah. I, it's not a crazy awesome shoot, shot at the moon beer or anything. Um, but I, I will say, I think it's just it has a little bit of f- like fruity ness to it. Maybe maybe a little citrus, um, and it's very hoppy. Very not not very bitter, but bitter enough to be like the mm-hmm. IPA that I'm used to kind of like anticipating. Um, yeah, it's a good amount of alcohol, 7%. Um, it would be one that like, if I saw on a bar that it's definitely going to be one that I'm going to consider having. So it's like the plan B if nothing else. Yeah. Pops yeah. If head, nothing, right? nothing is going to really sh- jump out at me, that would be a, a, a solid one that I wouldn't feel bad at going at. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let me give you my final words on this particular tequila. So I think this one is just the easier choice if you're going to be drinking tequila straight. If you're going to mm. be the kind of person who like wants to have a straight, you know, shot of tequila <laughs> or on the rocks or something like that, this one's just going to be a little more mild and a little more approachable because of that aging. Um, it still has much of the flavor profile that I think I described in the first one that I had last week. Uh, and it's extremely floral. It's sweet. You can taste the agave uh, up at the front and towards the back. And that vanilla is, is really nice. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I almost think if this was mixed into like a margarita or something, you'd have a fantastic margarita, but it would almost be like overkill because you're going to kind of take away from what makes this so strong on its own. And you probably better off just having the Blanco instead of the <laughs> Añejo. So yeah. uh, I, th- I think... You know, I, I think with like really good expensive whiskey and scotch, the value is there because of how harsh those drinks are and how big the flavor profile range is and what you can and what you can experience. And what I think with tequila right now is like the central characteristics of it have been a little a little bit a little more set. So it's more about like I don't know if you need to have this window of of really high dollar options because i don't know if the return is there you right know? yeah no and that could be my own i maybe i don't just don't know because i haven't had them but that's that's where my mind is right now cool well it sounds like you're yeah. digging it man yeah 
It def- like I didn't dislike it. That's that's for damn sure. If somebody if if you saw it up on a shelf at a place, would you order something straight of it? I probably. I mean, dude, Dulce Vita like is my favorite brand of tequila. Yeah. So I mean, I'm kind of a fanboy for it. So I'll I'll, I'll that's always where my mind will go. Fuck yeah. Um. So we'll we'll kind of have to see if something dethrones it. Uh, <laughs> there's a few other brands that I know of that I think can do it that I've had in the past, but <laughs> that I don't know might if I have the chops. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't have it with me, so they might be the I, genuine I article. They could. It's the real deal, dude. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that is episode one hundred and sixty. Hunter, thank you for another great hour of catching up and talking. We're only a few weeks away from seeing each other in Austin, and I am incredibly excited for that. We have uh, kind of a special uh, run of episodes planned for uh, early August, and we'll talk to you guys more about that as it comes up. But, you know, go ahead and go ahead and know that and get a little excited. I'm excited for what we, what we have in store. Um, but for the meantime, you can just continue listening to Witty Banter on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, just hit subscribe. All of the episodes show up in your download queue for free. Leave us a review if you would like, and if you like the show, it really helps us get discovered, and uh, it helps, gr- helps grow the audience. Uh, and of course, you can always recommend us to friends if you're digging it. Uh, send us emails to wittybantershow at gmail.com and we'll bank those and read them on air. Uh, and then you can also just go to our website, which is wittybantershow.com. If you want to listen from your desktop, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at wittybantershow. I am also on Twitter. I am at Bodacious Chase. Max is at probably Max. And Hunter has a YouTube channel called Crypto Diesel that he periodically updates with really good information about blockchain technology. So. That's sort of what the uh, Witty Banter Network is all about. And Hunter, it's been good, and we will see everybody else next time. Beto Pepe. Been a pleasure. Beto Pepe.